Hello, listeners, and welcome to Closing Time, the podcast that provides an inside look at the world of healthcare startups and venture capital. I'm Hallie Tecco. And I'm Michael Esquivel. Each episode, we get the privilege of meeting entrepreneurs at the forefront of healthcare innovation. You get to eavesdrop on pitches that are reshaping healthcare from founders daring to think differently. So pull up a chair and join us as we journey into the future of healthcare, one pitch at a time. Today, we have a special guest VC, Bob Kocher. Bob is a partner at Venrock and focuses on health tech and healthcare services. He currently serves on the boards of Devoted Health, Verda Health, Allidade, Lyra Health, and more. And of course, today's founder is Brooke LeBlanc, the founder and CEO of Edge App. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Brooke, maybe you can just start by telling us your journey to starting Edge. Yes. Let me take you back to two years ago. I was working in the tech industry as a sales representative for an early stage startup, and I decided to share my sobriety story online. So in one sitting, in one fell swoop, I wrote a three-page essay on why I got sober, shared it online to my personal and professional network, and that post went viral. I got hundreds of DMs from people within the tech industry and within the broader community on the social channels that I posted it on, asking me how I got sober, what I did differently. At the time, I was 23 years old, living in a major city. So I was kind of peacocking in my social group, to put it lightly. And now, a few years later, I've decided to go out and build my own thing after successfully coaching and mentoring um, dozens of people in my network, both professionally and on a personal note, and helping them cut back or quit drinking, depending on their sobriety goals. So today I'm working on building out a team. We have an engineer and a designer signed on to build our product and we're building Edge, which is a platform to help you cut back or quit drinking. And the entire thesis is around productizing some of my learnings through my journey that people really resonate with both accountability and support. And so support is gonna provide peer-to-peer coaching and mentorship within the app. And that's a community element And the accountability piece is the coaching side. So we're going to run paid coaching products. Uh, We're currently launching our MVP next week. So every, every month, starting with the month of August, we're going to be running a coaching program um, and we're filling slots for that right now. So we'll be testing a lot of our features that we'll, we'll build into the app and we're launching the app for dry January next year. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you said you productize your learnings that resonate. Can you tell us a little bit more about what is unique about uh, your approach versus any of the other existing sobriety programs, most notably AA? Yes. So traditionally, there's a barbell offering. So on one side of the spectrum, you had mentioned AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, which is completely free. That's been around for over 100 years. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's a much more expensive offering. So that includes rehab, MAT, or medical-assisted therapy, receiving medication, hands-on treatment in the form of uh, outpatient care or therapy. And so there's this huge gap for a low-cost solution that can scale um, in a way that AA did successfully over the course of 100 years, but it's all in person. And so digitizing learnings from AA and then also making this much more affordable than kind of the traditional rehab model um, is our sweet spot and what we're going after. 
Can you say more about how you imagine getting people to engage? Yes. So our target market is really centered around people who are sober curious. Speaking for Gen Z and younger populations, one in three Gen Z don't drink at all. And one in four are interested in cutting back. So there's some pretty shocking data around people who are younger. And that's traditionally, especially in America, when you are legally allowed to drink and people really lean towards drinking heavy cultures. And so really providing that community for people to come to online in a way where they don't potentially have that in person is something that we're kind of tapping into through our social channels. We're also launching our product for dry January. And so drinking challenges are very popular in this country. 30 million people in the U.S. annually try out sobriety challenges. So centering our product and positioning it around these temple events that happen. Um, I, we just came out of dry July and early uh, later this year, we're going to head into sober October. So there's lots of different ways to engage people, make it fun, um, form partnerships with non-alcoholic beverages and get people on our product. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of months, I guess, you can start this program in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so for some people, they, they get benefits from medications like naltrexone. Are you thinking of combining medications with support and coaching and, and therapy? Or, or how, how do you envision the product being efficacious? Yeah, so we're looking at ways to measure outcomes. And that will be very strategic when it comes to building on our coaching platform. Um, and determining what success looks like from the coach perspective and the people who we bring in. And a lot of this is what we're testing behind the scenes right now. Today, we won't be partnering with any form of providing medication. Um, That could be a long-term goal that we bring into the platform. But today, we're just focused on community and coaching. And this is a a condition where there can be a fair amount of sort of relapses and then successes and things. How do you envision keeping people engaged long-term and keep bringing them back in when they need a booster shot? Yeah. So we're focused on building a painkiller, not a vitamin. So really trying to make sure that we bring people in at the right time of their sobriety journey. That's really important. Um, On the spectrum of our ICP, there's folks who are curious, but they're not serious about cutting back. And then there are swappers or substitutes, people who are interested in sobriety, but haven't fully committed yet. And that's our sweet spot. Also people who are serious about stopping, but then there's also people who have a physical addiction. They do require a much more hands-on service and we might not be the right person for them. Um, So just trying to, in our outreach and communications be very clear about who we're able to help. And then the magic about AA and what we've learned from them is that people keep coming back. So for decades, you'll be a part of the program and continue to come back every week, even after you've successfully stopped drinking. And that's because of the community it provides. So providing that extra layer of support and making it be a second space for you to go online and share more about your struggles and your opportunities and the benefits of cutting back or quitting drinking is really going to keep people on the platform. Brooke, with AA, the coaches, um, the sponsors are, from what I understand, volunteer. They're doing it as part of the community. Do you envision having folks on the platform, the community being a volunteer base, or are you thinking about having them trained and hired and part of your company? Having people trained, hired, and a part of our company and will match up one coach for every 10 customers. 
Um, and as we scale, we'll change around the numbers to make it make sense in terms of our business model, because that's the paid side of the product. Um, but for today, we're looking at only using or bringing in real hired coaches, potentially in the farther <laughs> farther down in the line, once we have more data on our platform, we'll be able to use AI to scale some of that, especially when it comes to the daily check-ins and just providing that level of um, accountability and rewards and really incentivizing people to continue their sobriety streaks. That's something we could get smarter with and use more layers of technology. But today we're keeping it really bare bones simple. And what qualifications will a coach have to have? So today in this specific space, there is no qualification or program you can go through. There is a few mentors in my network and who might come on as formal advisors who have qualifications that are tangentially related. So there's a fitness and wellness qualification that Derek Brown has. We're looking at that as something that we might screen for when we look at applicants for the coaching program. And then there's years of experience. So are you actually sober? Do you practice what you preach? And then a lot of kind of what you're currently doing. So I've personally been running coaching calls. I know a few other coaches who we might bring on um, for our MVP who have done a lot of coaching calls and they have a track record of results. So really looking at making sure that we have integrity through every part of our product. And then also if there is an emerging certification that comes out, we adopt that into our system or maybe we create it. Yeah. And, and Brooke, from, from the paid platform side of this, is, is, is that where the coaching piece comes into play or, or is, that, is that part of the, the freemium side of it? Uh, just, just trying to understand where, where that, el- that coaching element comes into the, into the solution here. Yes, the coaching is the paid side of it. So it's a freemium offering. And Brooke, what's, what's the free side? Can you just describe that too? Yes, the free side is community and content centered around sobriety. Um, and we're also going to provide a sobriety tracker. So instead of in the traditional AA model, having one cumulative date that says, oh, you've been sober for 50 days. And then if you break it, then it's de-incentivizing. It's not very fun. You have to start back from zero. It almost, if you're kind of on the cusp of getting sober, de-incentivizes you to continue a longer journey in a way where sobriety streaks change that will reward you for getting back on the horse and trying again and uh, start your streak back over. And then we'll incentivize you for hitting your number, especially when you onboard, you'll input your data into what's most important to you. So getting fully sober might not be everyone's goal objective at the start. They might just want to cut back two drinks a week and then we'll hold them accountable to that goal. So all of that is the free side and then the coaching, which is more hands-on and pairing you with a real person you can talk to um, and have one-on-ones with, that's going to be the paid side. And can we talk about how and when and how much people will pay on the paid side? Yes. Uh, so for our MVP, we're charging $100 per person for a month, which offers four group coaching, four one-on-one coaching, and a ton of other add-on benefits like access to the community. Um, and that's beyond your month stay with us. You'll, if you, even if you don't join for the following month, you'll still have access to all of the resources on our website and access to future cohorts. And what's your sense of how many months is the logical amount of time that a person will need to be engaged to succeed or yeah. to achieve their goals? Yeah. It, so a lot of this information will get over time to build a habit. It takes about a month. 
around 30 days. So we're betting that in the term, in terms of sobriety, it usually takes around a year to feel comfortable with the identity of being sober. So a lot of this we'll have to test, but my assumption that I'm testing is that it takes three months of being in program, building that accountability, having the habit, um, and then feeling comfortable with all of the ways that we'll train you up on how to approach a happy hour and ask for a mocktail and all of the other smaller things that we're testing when it comes to our coaching program to see success. And why not charge based on outcomes or charge you pay this much to feel good about where you are in your sobriety journey versus month monthly? And I only ask this because I actually see this a lot in the fertility space, people charging monthly for a fertility program, but then they have perverse incentives, right? Like you want to get pregnant as soon as possible, but they make more money the longer it takes you to get pregnant. And I could see kind of some of these incentives in your business as well by charging monthly. Yeah. Uh, so for the model that we have right now, it works for the MVP. In terms of when we launch on the app store, we're very flexible with looking at what's the best way to incentivize people to join our product and stay on our product. And I love this phrase from Hinge, which is a different space, but it's called, uh, or they, they use in their marketing efforts designed to be deleted. And although that they have that as their ethos, if you're a successful user of their platform, then you're married or you're, you're, you're coupled up and then you leave the platform, they still are wildly successful. They're able to bring in new users and engage existing users. So figuring out a way where it makes sense for us as a business and the user, and we're still helping them and achieving their outcomes is something that we have a lot of conversations about on the team and that we're willing to be flexible with. So thank you for that. Yeah. So Brooke, do you, so you envision users sort of coming in and out of the the, the premium paid element of the platform. So it may take three months and they're sort of said, okay, I've reached my near term goals. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to desubscribe and maybe just use the free content, but then I may need to re-engage. Is, is, is that part of the thesis here that over time, because it sounds like you're not envisioning somebody staying on the paid platform in perpetuity. Right. Yep. It depends a lot on the use case, the person that's coming in. I've seen some pretty shocking statistics that on average, it takes the U.S. adult 10 years from the day they want to cut back or quit to the day that they do successfully go sober. So it really depends on what age you're coming in at onto our platform, how susceptible you are to the circumstances in your life that are not conducive to getting or going sober. And yeah, we're, we're going to test that and see that can be one of like our core numbers that we test for is to see kind of not just attrition as in turnover off our platform, but really how people use the pay product versus the free product. And how do we kind of combine the two over time to make sure that we're providing successful outcomes, but also building a sustainable business with network effects that can scale. Something that's really important in our industry and that we can look to as AA for an example is they provide Al-Anon, which is a sister program to Alcoholics Anonymous for people who are codependents or friends and family of alcoholics. And using the network effects of this is going to be really important to grow our business, to create the flywheel effects and onboard people who are friends and family who want to track their sobriety next to their friends. And that's going to create more of a sticky user base and then bringing in more challenges. So whether or not we're providing a dry July challenge and tracking that, but we could also track health challenges. So if you're training for marathons, that could be something that you want that extra layer of accountability for every year. 
and something that we can help keep pushing people from the free to the paid side and getting to know our user better is going to be a huge part of this journey too. Brooke, there's a bunch of you know apps in the app store today that one could look at to help them with alcohol use disorder. How do you achieve differentiation or, or enough notoriety that people will try you first? Because I mean, there are people, as you mentioned, there's a lot of people trying to be you know cut down on their drinking. And I think it's really confusing today when you look at all the different things that you can find on your phone when you go search. So how do you achieve differentiation? Yeah, so this all came to be from my founder's story. So I've built a social platform of 22,000 people across three networks. And they come to me for sobriety content. And that's really who we're using this MVP for and who we're bringing in on our platform. And they're paid customers from day one and giving us learnings and offering a lot of kind of feedback and advice on how to improve the product. Um, From there, when it comes to networking effects and scale, we're really going to double down on free platforms like TikTok, where cost of cost from acquisition is incredibly low, if not completely obsolete today, but it's a way to scale and get in front of your user, especially a younger target audience like Gen Z user. And then when it comes to the products, we're differentiating because we're clearly setting out to go after our market. We We know who we are. We know who we're for. Today, we're not in the problem and addiction recovery space. We're just going after the sober, sober curious market. And we are, we have this freemium model because it really helps bring people in if they're not sure yet, or they're kind of on the, on the tipping point or they're sober curious, uh, which is a great phrase to use to describe one of our ICPs. And then converting them onto the paid product is a great way to bring people in, let them get familiar with the product. And then once they're ready, they can have that more hands-on service. So really getting in front of the right people and then building a great product is our two ways that we're going to differentiate over the long term. And on great product, do you have any information yet on how great it is, like how well it works? So we're building the iOS app in-house. So our MVP is giving us information on what features people care most about, how we can improve, and we're productizing that and putting it into the app. I think one of the, going back to differentiation, I love I love that you have a founder story. I think that goes a long way in branding and retention on helping customers feel like this is an authentic place to go where it's like buy us for us and you're aspirational to the customers. And I would just encourage you to continue to lean into your voice. I see sometimes founders, you know, will maybe not want their name on emails, but I'm like every customer email, like put your name on it sign it from you. Like you should be proud to be behind this company. Um, And I would continue to do that because your story is really powerful. And I think that will really help get people kind of across the line and and, uh, differentiate from the other offerings out there. I have a question. I imagine you've spent a lot of time studying coaching models in various indications. What successful coaching businesses have you looked at that you can learn from? Or on the flip side, are there any cautionary tales of coaching businesses that have made mistakes that you can then avoid? Yes. We have been looking at Weight Watchers as a great example of a product that has been in market. They're wildly successful with the way that they've evolved over time and really keep people, bring people in, bring new users in, and then they keep people in the platform and they measure outcomes in different lovers. So they've, they've expanded, they look at people's, uh, their users' food, exercise, behavior, support, habits, mindset, sleep, really any 
different lever that you want to improve. So they've really transitioned from not just a weight watchers program as in helping you diet and exercise, but really looking at your holistic health. And that's, that's a way to kind of measure outcomes in your life. And as we know, alcohol is a neurotoxin, it's a carcinogen, and it affects your entire health, uh, the picture of your health, not just maybe your liver or you're giving you a headache, which is what I grew up with. The information that I grew up with is really that alcohol is kind of a something that affects you once or one part of your body and or it's something that could cause cancer, but that's your problem in 30, 40 years from now, not today. And so I think allowing um, all of the fresh science that's coming out to inform our products and how alcohol affects your body and then relaying that information in a way where it's fun, exciting, and allows users to set it and forget it. So when they onboard, they can say that they want to cut back or quit. We hold them accountable to those goals and we get inspired by programs like Weight Watchers that have been super successful with productizing and providing a coaching element to hold people accountable to what they what their health outcomes will look like and giving people more information about how alcohol truly affects your body instead of just an isolated incident. I guess, Brooke, to play devil's advocate, I wonder on Weight Watchers, if they pivoted to focusing on more holistic health, which I think is actually a good thing, because actually their coaching and their product didn't work well for weight loss. And weirdly, if it's lack of effectiveness for weight loss has led it to have longer retention of people and make more money, back to what how I was talking about misaligned incentives. And I guess I'm hoping in your product that it works really well. So people in three months are actually achieving their goals. And if that were true, how then you deal with churn in the business actually at the end of the day? Like and is, you know, back to the pricing, is there a dynamic, is there some sort of pricing for success where you can be happy that they graduated and not sort of like going, oh, no, I have to go recruit another customer. But I'm curious how you think about those things. Yeah, a part of it is allowing our customers who have successful outcomes to onboard back into the platform as a paid coach. Um, so figuring out a way to have a flywheel effect is going to be really effective for our business model capitalizing on allowing people to have referral codes and bring in their friends and family and have a leaderboard and almost gamifying the free side of the platform is going to be really helpful for user acquisition. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fair critique on Weight Watchers. It's, they're so big now and they've hit such a critical mass that it makes sense for them to take a lens and say, all right, we've, we've we know what the business model looks like for weight loss why don't we apply that to other areas of health? I think that that's something that could make sense for us farther down the line is to really try to use this model if you're cutting back or quitting other substances or if you want to improve your health in other areas. But today we're just trying to stay really focused on mastering this core element. Yeah, so bro, coming, yeah, coming back to the coaching element, there's an interesting legal question here around how you think about are they employees or are they going to be consultants? And I've seen companies, you know, both thrive and die on that hill. And, and so curious, you know, if, if you've thought about it and, uh, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen it done and handled successfully. Ultimately, it'll turn on the characteristics of the services that that coach provides. But it is an interesting question. And, and ultimately, I've seen it uh, drive the, the customer acquisition cost question in a significant way. So I don't know if you've thought about it, Brooke. I know you're, you're still early in the journey and, and still evaluating those legal considerations. But uh, curious if you've, uh, if you've had any- And if you have- 
have it, can we get some free legal advice? (laughs) (laughs) Like which, which direction should she go if she hasn't decided? Yeah, we have a few people from coaching programs on the fitness side that are mentoring me and might come in as advisors. So they'll help direct us based on what makes sense from a legal perspective. But you're right today. It's a bit early for us to make that call. Yeah. You know, if it's helpful, uh, you know, I've had, uh, I've had the privilege of working with a terrific team at a company called future, which does personal training coaching. Love, love future. Uh, yeah. Gr- great product, great team an exciting business. And they've really dialed in how to think about a lot of these issues around coaching Brooke. So we can take it offline, but uh, might be worthwhile to connect you with uh, Rishi Mondal, who's the uh, founder, co-founder CEO there. I know he's always game to talk to other entrepreneurs and I think there might be a lot of interesting synergies too. On future, I I lost my coach. She took another job and it ruined the app for me. It like they could not connect me with another coach that I liked as much as my first coach, which, you know, comes back to this piece of like, can you build the app, which is less dependent on specific people? And we've actually seen some backlash on this in the mental health space, right? Like therapists on, I don't even know which apps these are, but, you know, we're let go and then people are losing, you know, what's become necessary in their life, treatment and connection and the disruptions that that causes. I have a preference for the employed model because that way you can both standardize what they do and ensure responsiveness. Because when a coach is a contractor, it's more difficult to actually ensure that they respond in time to messages that they're easy to schedule with. And the turnover issue, I think, is a really big one because particularly in this area, I think that there's an affinity that people build with their, whether it's their coach or behavioral health provider that really reinforces success. And so I think thinking through how you have very little turnover of coaches and particularly high training of them will be really important to the success. Yeah. And Bob, that's one of the key legal considerations here is how much control you're going to exercise over the coach in terms of trying to standardize the approach. And so the more control that Brooke and her team at, at a management level exert, uh, the, the more it, it definitely from a legal perspective argues in favor of making them employees. So uh, so not only are you, in my experience, consistent with yours from a business perspective, but legally speaking, the more you exert that element of oversight, the, the, the more it becomes challenging to not characterize them as coaches from a classification, or sorry, as employees from a classification perspective. That is the good advice I've gotten from Penwick. <laughs> how much How much cost does it add though? Like, how, are, and is this something that, um, you know, you make up for in quality and consistency that an increase in price isn't going to matter? Or is it something where it could kill a business because it's so expensive to have them as employees? I, I found that it doesn't raise cost because the turnover is much lower and you're not onboarding people all the time. And so you you save costs actually on, on having a much more stable workforce. Okay. So you can't look at the unit economics. You have to look at your overall costs of training and turnover. Yep. And interesting. So Brooke, maybe I'll, I'll change direction here just a little bit because that, that coach employee versus consultant contractor question is one that's always uh, plagued this industry when coaching is involved. Uh, but, but, you know, how about fundraising, uh, Brooke? Where, where, where are you guys now in that, in that aspect of the business? Have you guys raised uh, any seed capital or pre-seed capital since I know you're not launching until uh, next month or, or where do you stand on the fundraising side? Yes. Right now we're running a paid MVP and we're self-funded bootstrapped. Uh, we'll be raising our pre-seed round this fall. 
And Brooke, are you, one of the bits of advice Hallie's heard me say repeatedly to founders is, are you tracking the bootstrapping investment that you're making? One of the mistakes I see founders make is they put in real money. It's one thing to put in two or three or $5,000. It's an entirely different thing if you're putting in $50,000, $100,000. You know, that's real money. And so one of the mistakes, common mistakes I see founders oftentimes make is is not tracking that and 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 either papering it as a promissory note to the company, or at a minimum, at least keeping really, really clear records on, on the personal bootstrapping investment you're making. Yes. Yep. I have everything documented and we have negotiated all of our SaaS contracts for all of the smaller backend tools we've used for admin. And uh, we're really duct taping the solution together, but still providing the level of service we want to see on our app. So yeah, we've been We've been pretty lean so far. When do you think you'll you'll fundraise? We could be prepared as early as September. Um, so August isn't typically historically yeah. a great time to fundraise. And we'll have results and traction and a lot of learnings from this first cohort to bring um, in conversation. And we have a deck going on the back end with active edits from all of the mentors and people that help out. So we could be prepared to go out to market in September. Yeah, I love that. I think it's great to have some proof points. You're you're reducing the risk when you have a product out there. Someone can download it and, and see for themselves, get to know the product a little better. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. Not everybody can do that, though. It's, it's definitely uh, hard to bootstrap. Brooke, you mentioned AI as potentially an, a way to improve the product. I'm curious, how do you think it will make the product better? Yeah, this is something that we want to be careful not to just incorporate day one into our product. It's a new technology. It could make us better, but it also could complicate things. And we really want to focus on what's most important and core to our business, which is community and coaching. That being said, it could reduce costs and make things run more efficiently. Like what we could replace in the near term is daily accountability messages with AI. So if Jim, who's 31, onboarded, and he wants to go sober, and he wants to receive push notifications every day that reminds him, oh, you're 37 days into your streak this month. We could use AI as a tool to do that on the back end as a replacement of a coach manually coming in and sending messages that are more personalized. So still figuring out ways to provide a great experience, but lower cost on the back end and allow us to scale is going to be really important. Um, so we'll we'll mindfully bring in AI when it makes sense into our product and not just throw it on as a bell and whistle um, or put it into our deck for investment um, because yeah. it is a hot space right now. I, that's appreciated. It's being thrown around a lot lately. <laughs> like a check the box strategy for something that's been thoughtful. One example, a company called Verta Health that I'm on the board of um, does diabetes treatment and they use a lot of coaches to help people change their, their behaviors and diets. And, and they're using AI to help give coaches suggestions for food suggestions because people have very different diets and preferences. And so it allows better personalization. I can imagine in your setting, um, if a person's in, you know, in a, in whatever city they're in, you could use it actually to help find places that they could go, which will have great mocktails or learn from their, you know, have it help remember, um, yeah, what yeah. you've recommended before. So you don't re- recommend redundant things that they didn't like. And so that's one way that Inverter, they use AI to, to help coaches. And I could imagine you having some very similar use cases where the coach is using it as a tool to help them. I would love to just know if I if a bar I was going to is going to be friendly, like, or, you know, to, like, how, 
how prepared do I need to be emotionally to go separate different places and having that access would be really helpful. And even knowing what you should be excited about when you go, like would be, would make it a lot more appealing. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, Hey, I'm in this neighborhood. Give me a good uh, bar that has good mocktails. Totally. I would use it for that, for sure. I love yeah, a good mocktail. Yeah, that's really half the battle, <laughs> right? That's half the battle. As a sober, curious person myself, it, it's often social that drives us to sort of everybody's ordered a glass of wine or a, or a, an old-fashioned. And the New York Times, I'm sure Brooke has seen this, put out this great list of their favorite mocktails. And you could order them. But if, if more bars had more offerings, I, I think that would – that for those of us that are really sober curious, I just love that phrase, and, and really just want to reduce uh, you know, their consumption, I'd love it. But oftentimes, Brooke, the candid reality, even here in the Bay Area, which I think of as uh, tending to be a little more progressive and leaning into some of these initiatives, you know, we just don't have a lot of those options. More so than we did a decade ago, though. F- fair enough, right? Hallie. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like but, we even but have, we even have the, the low or no alcohol wine. Like that didn't exist yeah. a decade ago. Yeah, it's very cool. Brooke, I follow a, a, a Instagram account called Sober Girl Society that I really like. And I love anytime someone can take like public health content and mix it with this like relevant culture and building, uh, you know, helping people build positive lifestyles and habits through content that doesn't look like it was put out by the CDC. And I imagine that you're going to do something similar. And I'm really excited to to follow. Yeah. Um, and I think this has been really illuminating. We wish you all the best. And we thank you so much for being here. And Bob, thanks for being here and, and sharing your insights as well. Thank you. Thank you. I hope it's wildly successful, Brooke. Yes. Thank you. You're we'll here. all be downloading <laughs> it next month. Yes, please. Thank you so much for your support. And that's closing time for today. A huge thanks to our partners at Fenwick for underwriting this show. Recording, editing, and audio mixing by Kyle Moore. Thanks to our guests and to you, our listeners, for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And check out our website, closingtimepodcast.com for more exclusive content. Until next time, this is Hallie Tecco and Michael Esquivel for Closing Time. 